Smartcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah. He would have been like, you can write a better lyric than that. Oh, <laughs> man. That, so it made me miss South Detroit for sure. <laughs> um, what else is on that album? Anything good? Oh, yeah. Only Time Will Tell was another huge hit. You remember How does that, that go? Oh, it's Only this one here. Oh, it's you'll know it right away. Oh, oh stop. Oh, oh my, God. Stop. Lord. my God. No, stop it. Stop. Oh, oh, stop. <laughs> Cowbell. <laughs> my Fifty years of music with fifty-year-old white guys. But I am going to start this podcast, fellas. How is it going today? What a day! What a day! It is. Uh, it is 1982 on the podcast. Welcome to 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys on the Drive-In Podcast Network. Uh, ben Barton, Knoxville, uh, doing well these days? Bumping along, for sure. A little rainy today, but otherwise good. I hear you. I hear you. Jeff Simons, uh, Berkeley, is that sunshine over your shoulder? Yeah, I'm actually still in, in sunshiny Marin County because right after this podcast, I slide right into a pickup hoops game. So, uh, uh- a very, very exciting Wednesday night ahead for the nice, I like and then it. and then uh, right to the Marin County hot tubbing, uh, I believe it was I, last week. I uh, I really played hard. I was really proud of myself. And as I was going to bed, I was like, hmm, things feel tingly. And the next morning <laughs> when I reached to kind of pull myself up into the school van to drive the kids to school, I grabbed oh, the steering with my right arm and it made this noise. Pop, 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 pop. So, yeah, I'm going to be I'm going to be a lot more careful well, tonight. It's, it's I funny. hurt for like three days. It's funny you bring that up. Uh, do either of you know the number one reason why I am not a professional athlete? Because you suck. No, that's actually <laughs> further down the list. It's like four. Are you sure? Because I think you might want to look into it further. <laughs> I could say that's the same reason I'm not a professional athlete. Uh, I was going to say, you don't like stretching. That's your number one. Oh, uh, no. Brian Shaw never stretched. Uh, yeah, it's nothing to do with the uh, the the skill set I have or the uh, physical nature of my 5'11 frame. I can't stand losing. Uh, and tonight we lost a volleyball match to our rivals. And I just, I, I almost broke my clipboard. Um I've grown, I've matured as a coach, but I cannot stand losing. And if you're like a major league baseball player, you're losing what? Like 50 games over a season? The difference is when a major league baseball player loses 50 games, they go home and sleep on a giant pile of money. (laughs) And when a high school volleyball coach who gives up all his free time, heart and soul loses to the arch rival, you go home to asbestos basement. So I think that has... That's probably has something to do with it. To the two of you. <laughs> right. 
Oh, this is going to be a salty podcast. Listen up. Listen and Timmy, up I'm going to go ahead and speculate that you're yeah. not mean to the girls. I am not mean to the girls. I'm uh, I'm so that just means that you're just like you have to eat your little bitterness. It's just like <laughs> yeah. you keep it all in your little tum tum just down there. That must be really hard. I, when I you say you almost broke your clipboard. Did you go around the back of the van before driving them home and like think about breaking it or did you, did you almost break it? On no, the it was uh, it was in a moment of um, of a, a lack of focus. And, uh, you know, the the student, the athlete understood her mistake right away. Um, so it's like. You don't the need ball to hit her in the head. You don't need to break a clipboard <laughs> to emphasize the point. So you're like, I didn't break the clipboard. That's why I threw a chair onto the court and got <laughs> escorted out of the building. Fun stuff. Fun That's stuff. That's a good sub podcast, like favorite coach meltdowns. That's definitely number uh, one. Bobby Knight's chair. I really love Denny Green's like, we knew they, who they were, who uh, we thought they were. I, I was going to say that. I love the that. The thing that's really sad is that they were. They were. These are only the public ones. Like, I can't remember. Oh, I, know. The, I think it's Mike Leach when he was at Texas Tech. Oh, yeah. yeah. That one's insanity. Yeah. Where he For says, me. I'm a man. I'm 40. No, no, no. That's, no, that's the no. Oklahoma State guy. The oh. Texas Tech one is, and Jeff can correct me on this. My memory is fuzzy. But basically, it's like some guy who worked at ESPN's kid goes to Texas Tech. And he goes only because Mike Leach is an offensive genius and a great coach. And then Mike Leach like literally locks him in a closet for like 18 hours. And, what? Like, and he's like banging the door like, let me out. I, I need water. Like, I need to get out of here. And he's like, you'll poop in your pants and live in that closet. What? <laughs> it's Lampley's kid, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Again, oh, I should have put it allegedly by all of this, but that was my <laughs> understanding. Of allegedly. Story. Oh, man. All right. Well, enough about... Anyhow, Timmy, you got some new coaching tips, man. You're ready to do this. Yeah. that uh, Listeners, if you're out there uh, and you have some volleyball coaching tips, go ahead. Uh, tweet it. Tweet it at me. 1982. Let's get right to it. The Grammy winner, Jeff Simons. It's the Grammy winner. Toto 4 by Toto. Martin, that was a long, long time. I thought we were in Africa. I can't believe he snuck in Rosanna, so I wouldn't know. Key change, key change. All right. Hold on. Key change number three. Okay. By the way, can you just see the West Side Story dance routine? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> the, the Jets. I can't believe that's not in the, in the musical Cats, that moment right there. Like That, that seems, is like, the Grammy-winning album. It's Toto 4 by Toto. Um, mm -hmm. How many bands have gone with the numbering route? So let's That's a question. Let's have Toto. Toto. Van Halen. Van Halen. Uh, four and or four was that their four fourth four. record? Yeah, but they didn't do it one, two, three. Uh, they're just not good at counting. Don't hold that against them, Jeff. Actually, <laughs> them on a curve. Urgent, good, good. Um, but just, it, is Toto 
because Led Zeppelin changes eventually. Does Toto? Toto's Toto, yeah. In fact, I don't think it's Toto two and Toto three. It's Toto and then some horrible name and something even stupider and then Toto four. So, what I love about Toto four is it has uh, that sword with the rings on it. It really, it's got everything about it's that red, like red velvet color. Like, it's a tough package to love like africa's on record. it right that's the bigger yeah. single on it although maybe that's, rosanna was bigger at the time africa's that, bigger now i mean because like the of girls leisure. if you played rosanna to the girls they would have no idea but africa they would know for sure yeah africa, Dolly even kind of likes that song africa is the last song on the record and rosanna is the first yeah that, I, I, I know that record man that record was gargantuan although yeah. i guess we've decided this that thriller comes out late in the year and that's why it didn't win anything like it's yeah. demented yeah. it comes thriller. out in november yeah, um, we're, sa- we're saving the thriller chat because it's going to dominate. If, if time, we can just so. go over the last five years of Grammys, we go Saturday Night Fever in 78, 52nd Street, Christopher Cross, Double Fantasy, Toto 4. I feel like we're heading in the wrong direction. Things are getting very soft. That opening drum beat of Rosanna, they're like, just about every drummer I know is in awe of that opening drum beat because of the there's something very very fancy that Rick Murata is doing with the hi hat like this. Huh. And then and then it gets all ruined by that horrible <laughs> all that junk on top of it. But that drum beat is uh like oh, I know like six drummers when they sit down to test out a kit. Yeah, like they start it, with break that. into that Rosanna drum. Oh, beat, that's you know? awesome. Like, so. It's definitely like an inside joke. So, all right, uh, Jeff Simon. Still, the albums the remain. Sorry, the albums still remain better than the songs. I mean, the albums still remain better than the songs. We don't have any tie yellow ribbon. Like, no matter yeah. how bad you think Toto yeah. Four is, it doesn't touch the worst songs that we have. Oh no way! Yeah, totally agree. None of those I, records are. Uh, I mean, Christopher Cross is a pretty shitty record. That's embarrassing. As a right, choice. but I mean that being like one of the things that's funny about the albums, and I guess I'm confused about the songs. But I mean, the albums, they basically, it seems like they're choosing one of the three biggest selling albums of the year. And they're like, yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> right. That's yeah, right. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. They're um, and, not listening. Yeah. And so, you know, that 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 puts some guardrails on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like like some of those songs. Oh, like, but I mean, yeah. the, when you get the best selling album of the year, it's probably going to be sort of OK. Yeah. It's going to at least have least, one song, you know, on it's it. going to have at least one song that's not embarrassing. That's well um, said. Yep. All right, so 1982, uh, Jeff Simons, you remember who wins the Super Bowl in 82? <sighs> uh, uh, ben Barn, do you know who wins the 82? Super Bowl? Wait, wait, wait. Is it when the Raiders beat the Vikings? No. 32 to 14? No. No. The San oh, Francisco no. 49ers. Oh, that's, the, that's the one over Cincinnati? Yeah. Where Joe Montana yeah, okay. sees uh, John Candy. In the audience of the, of the Super Bowl, it's like, hey, it's John Candy, like with a minute left as he's driving the team down. Uh, Klaus von Bülow is found guilty. Oh, right. In Newport. That was that was not a Didn't nice. Didn't Jeremy guy. Irons play him in a movie? Wasn't there a that, docu? Uh, yeah. Reversal of Fortune. It's an amazing yeah. movie. I thought he beat the charge. Dershowitz uh, was his lawyer. Dershowitz comes in for the. Uh, oh, appeal. Dershowitz wins the appeal, and that's yep. what the movie's about. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Reversal yeah, of fortune. Terrific. Dershowitz <laughs> is less terrific, and it's really gone downhill from there. Yeah, but the Oof. movie's great. Such a great movie. When he's like, "You're a very strange man." 
you have no idea. Oh yeah, yeah that's dude, right. That's, that's a, a Jeremy movie. Irons performance for the ages. Really He's good. Really killing it. Do you remember on The Simpsons when Lisa goes over to the genius kid's house and they're playing anagrams? Oh yeah. And and they're like, uh, uh, Alec Guinness, and the kid goes, genuine class. And they say, good one, Lisa, Jeremy Irons. And she says, uh, Jeremy's iron. <laughs> <laughs> and they say, that's very good, Lisa. Here's a ball. Perhaps you'd <laughs> like to bounce it. <laughs> All right. Now, also in 1982, which movie wins Best Picture in 1982? And I will give you a hint. 81 is Gandhi, right? Gandhi won everything in 81. Anyhow, and just give us a hint on 82. It, well, it's, it's Tootsie. Oh, it's Chariots of Fire. Chariots of Fire. Oh, I thought it was Tootsie. Okay. For those of us listening at home, I was uh, running. Running in slow motion. Um, <laughs> I've never seen the movie. Ben, you ever see it? Yeah. Good? I've seen it too. It's okay. Yeah. It's okay. It's, it's okay. super, it's just exactly like The Crown. It's like Oscar slash Emmy bait. Like they speak with British accents and they're good looking and people are like, wow, how classy. That's <laughs> so funny. <laughs> That's so perfect. All right. Um, it's like the crown, but older and slower. And that's that's slow motion. Fire. A crowd of 100,000 <laughs> attends the first day of the World's Fair in 1982. Uh, and in the six month run, 11 million attend it. Jeff Simons, uh, what city hosts the World's Fair in 1982? Knoxville, Tennessee. Is correct. Beautiful Knoxville, Tennessee. Yes, we still have the Sun Sphere. I Do know. You? I've seen it many a times. Oh, Beautiful. yeah. And by the way, that's city property now. So India Kikanda is probably just like doing donuts inside it right now. <laughs> <laughs> by the way, do they still do a World's Fair? I don't know. Is there even still yes, a World's yes. Fair? Yes. I, I think they call it an expo. But dude, I went to one in Milan, Italy in uh, 2014 15. It was freaking fantastic. It was super. Is that fun. right? They okay. stopped doing them like, in the is U.S. It like Epcot Center with no rides. Like, what is it like? Oh, they have the. It's, it's exactly. It's like the Epcot World Park. Like, yeah, you okay. just walk around things. Yeah, it's fan. The one in in Milan was fantastic. Um, the one in Knoxville, Tennessee, lost. And again, I'll just be kind about. It. I'll just, <laughs> if you want to put it allegedly in it, it definitely lost money. Uh-oh. And the two guys who put up all of the money ended up in a federal federal pen for stealing oh. from their own bank. So oh, that was okay. discouraged future future entrepreneurs from doing it. So, but if it's city property, we could do a podcast from the Sun Sphere. Dude, listen, I- before Indy Kincannon was mayor, when I used to have a real in at the city, I played uh-huh. poker up there multiple times. What? Like it was a construction site and I can't say who it was because it was extra not legal, but the dude let us in and we played poker with him and we just hung out. Now that Andy is the mayor, I was like, can we go back? And she was like, oh no, that would be a violation of various regulations. (laughs) Absolutely right. right. Uh, The motto, uh, is the motto still around anywhere? Do you know the motto, Ben? No, what's the motto? Energy turns the world. Oh, so true. Um, Coal, coal. There was... um, there was a Patriots Steelers exhibition game held in Knoxville in honor of the World's Fair. Nice. There was a Celtics 76ers exhibition game held there. Um, it gives us uh, touch screens. The first touch screens came from, uh, were debuted in 1982 in Knoxville. Pay at the Pump debuted. And that must have been a thrilling exhibit. Hey, kids, <laughs> come look. <laughs> Come look, you can pay at the pub. 
<laughs> I'm so glad I'm alive for this moment, Paul. That was First a of all, I didn't appreciate that accent, Jeff Simon. <laughs> yes, you did. You loved that accent. I did not like it. Oh, dude, on a related topic, goes to Dahlia, my beloved older daughter, Dahlia, is a philosophy major and an anthro minor okay. at Haverford College. And she reported to me the other day that um, one of her professors was running down the South and that she would be scared to go. And Dolly was like, well, I, I just have to say that, you know, you've you've mentioned that we shouldn't stereotype. And as a resident of Appalachia, I'm very upset. <laughs> <laughs> the greatest joke of all time. I was like, you do that thing, Dolly. I love it. Resident of Appalachia. That's great. Um, the, uh, uh, the, the other debut was Cherry Coke uh, at the Knoxville World's Fair in 1982. Well, that's in a can, right? I mean, they were putting cherry syrup and Coke before the World's Fair. A cherry phosphate surely predates 1982. I, I, Jeff, I'm listen, going, don't attack the research yeah. department, man. We talked about this. <laughs> Let Timmy live, okay? If he says cherry Coke came out then, it came out then. Nobody needs to hear about Dr. Pepper. Like, I'm, cherry Coke started then. Stop talking. I'm just saving him angry later bad reviews like i had a cherry coke in 1965 and a phosphate first of all jeff you write those reviews man so you can save him by not doing that oh man all right ah jeff this one's for you may 30th 1982 cal ripkin starts for the baltimore orioles what year is the year where he takes a game off Oh, I can't. I can't. It's 1997, I think. Is that when uh, he it, makes it why, through? You're really good. All the way to 98. 16 98. years, uh, never misses a game, which I kind of think this podcast is the Cal Ripken of podcasts. <laughs> Every oh Wednesday, God. we're there. We're For another 16 years, ladies and gentlemen. Except for the month and a half we took off this summer, but you know, yeah, well, that's the off season. We can do sure, that. Fair. Yeah. All right, cool. uh, Jeff Simons, I'm going to you for the number one selling album of 1982. It is not Thriller because Thriller no, comes not. out in November, so this band gets to lay claim. Uh, although Thriller is the greatest selling album of all time, that was released in '82. And I'm going to try to I'm going to try to hit stop as fast as I can, because Ben should be able to get this in less than a second. And, and you're going with the big one, right? Yeah. All right. Great. I didn't uh, have it yet. Uh, oh, that's my boy. That's my boy. That's fine. I just needed those last two closing notes. Wow. Keep it going. Just really? It's the number one album. Asia by Asia. I never meant to be so bad to you. One thing I said that I would never do. A look from you and I would fall from grace. And that would wipe the smile right from my face. Together songs and 
Talk about how awkward that moment is. It's bothered me my whole life. It, it was the heat, the heat of, the of the moment. Telling you what my heart meant. It's such a weird, unsingable metal medley. And the, the song gets all weird and rockabilly after being like a big it's so power good. chord. It's so good. So this is another oh. one. Another one, Timmy, where I'm like, why is it a journey? <laughs> Couldn't we just have journey? Put journey at on. least one of these dudes was in journey, right? Uh, I don't know. This is uh, Carl Palmer, the drummer. It's Greg Lake. Those guys are from Emerson Lake and Palmer. And, yes. and then uh, Greg Wetton, who was also in a bunch of those big prog rock. But this is an groups. all-star band with two really yeah, good guitars. Steve Howe. Right? Steve oh, Howe is Howe. from Yes is one of the guitar players, I think. Yeah. Okay. This is a British super group of progressive what? rockers on the way down who, who very cleverly are like why are we not making big stupid pop music we're all really i did not know and so, i get arrested no yep. well, one reason thought... why they should not have made pop music is that they rhymed dance with circumstance i was like what is going on here fellas i can't believe i mean i own this record um and my my recollection of this is that the guitarists were the big stars in the band and that they toured on an X-shaped stage. Oh, no, that's that's GTR, but it's the same guy. Are you guy. sure? Yeah. GTR was an X. They put the drums in the center, the guitars in the front, and the bass and the vocal in the back. Just the greatest <laughs> stage design of all time. The I best really thought that was Asia, but that makes me happy. Whoever it was, that makes me laugh really hard. But it's two the same two guys. Like GTR was the super group that, that came out of the Asia split. And I right. can't remember what the other guys became, but so, the best the best album review I ever read in my life was of GTR, and the review was SHT. I was like, that <laughs> is perfect. JD Considine, man, super so good. Funny. That's outstanding. So yeah, John Wetton of King Crimson. Yep. Steve Howe of Yes, Jeff Downs of Yes, and the Buggles. Carl yep. Palmer of Emerson Lake Palmer. Yep. Wow. No wonder I always got these guys confused. Like, yes, and Emerson like Palmer and everybody. I honestly thought that there was a dude from Journey in there. Like, that's how confused I was. <laughs> we, we should be so lucky. Yeah. He would have been like, you can write a better lyric than that. Oh, <laughs> man. That, so it made me miss South Detroit for sure. <laughs> um, what else is on that album? Anything good? Oh, yeah. Only Time Will Tell was another huge hit. Do you remember How's that, that go? Oh, it's Please this one here. So. Oh, it's you'll know it right away. Oh, oh stop. Oh, oh my god. Stop. Oh my god. No, stop it. Stop. Oh my stop. god. Cowbell! <laughs> Mind coming cowbell! I actually oh, that know. keyboard sound, <laughs> so man. Painful. That keyboard sound you know, is the worst. You don't know this about me, but when I when I get a keyboard gig in a band and I set up, the first thing I do is that just to see if anybody will know it and start laughing. <laughs> but the other day I was I was sound checking at that that gig I played two weeks ago and I set up the keyboard and I went and nobody said anything. And then I came down after the sound check and I'm, I'm walking to get my food and this old guy comes up and was like, "Hey man, was that Asia you sent?" <laughs> and I was like, "It sure was, my brother." And he's like. Sounded good. It was so great. It was so great. Oh, good lord, that song. Yeah. Um, 
ciabatta bread. <laughs> By the way, if that's not the opener of next week's podcast, I quit. Just is, that. Is ciabatta it, bread. 50 years of music with 50 year old white guys. Is oh. invented in 1982. Now, I figure what? bread was really old. And I figured ciabatta bread was an old Italian bread. Nope. Guy invents it in 1982 because they kept losing customers to a French bakery down the street. And those baguettes were making great sandwiches. This is why people come to our podcast. It's not music knowledge. By the way, I really dislike ciabatta bread. I never use I never get it when it's an option. Not why? What? I don't know. I, li- I prefer Crunchy. many other kinds. I like the Dutch crunch, but I don't like the ciabatta. I feel like ciabatta is too thick, too much bread, not enough stuff. Wait, Ben, that's why you have a sour face, because ciabatta is the high gluten bread. You're out on ciabatta. That's why. That's why. Too. <laughs> I'm not mad about this entire topic, but you're right. That's it. Because of the gluten content. I hit a nerve. Sorry. All right. Barney Clark receives an artificial heart in 1982. He lives for 112 days. Can we think about this for a second? It's an artificial heart, Jeff Simons. It's man-made. It's plastic. Yeah. How the heck did he live for 112 days? I See, I always heard that story and thought, well, that's a shame that that didn't work. It doesn't seem like a great success to me. Three and a half months. It's like an artificial brain, like the heart. You need a it's heart. It's not like an artificial brain. It's like an artificial heart. They're very different. We understand almost everything about the heart. The brain is a gigantic, crazy ass mystery to this day. Would you agree, Ben? I mean, oh, I'm totally. not a doctor, but. <laughs> I mean, basically like the heart is a the muscle pump. and they're awesome the at dealing with muscles. Like if you're going to have a bad part of your body, the heart is not a bad one to choose for sure. So ciabatta bread, what they do is they put, never mind. All right. Oh, you guys are going to be mad about this. And then we'll get to our three albums. Times man of the year for 1982. The computer. You're kidding me. I was going to guess E.T. Yeah, could have been. The computer. The computer. And by, Timmy, help me out. Was the picture of the Apple IIe or what was it? Oh, that's a great question. Here, uh, yeah. tell Jeff about the Bee Gees documentary and I'll look. <laughs> oh, did you watch it? Because I have a documentary I need to talk about as well that's music related. Great. You do. I'll tell you that uh, our my beloved wife, India Kincannon, said, Tim told me to watch the documentary. And so we watched it together. And so I can report that, that I still love my wife. Second, I can report that it did not convince me that any of the pre-disco era or the post-disco era was very useful. In fact, it convinced me of the opposite. Oh, my. Um, it was likable, though. They seemed like likable fellas. And in particular, I mean, the disco era, what can you say about it? Like, like it was even more impressive when you saw in the documentary, like just how freaking gigantic they were. And then it is a little like it was hard to generate much sadness because they were like in bathtubs full of money. But it must have been really weird for them to have this long career where they were up, down, up, down. And by up, I mean, like tiny ups and, and pretty big downs. And then all of a sudden they were the biggest stars Ew. in the world. And they just ended like just a curtain came down on them. Yeah. Anyway, so, uh, uh, Jeff, tell us yours. 
I watched If I Leave Here Tomorrow, the Leonard Skinner story the other night. Whoa! Because it was Netflix's main recommendation to me. And I was like, why? Why tempt fate? So I, I watched the whole thing. Okay. This is a very sad story. So you, people know that Leonard Skinner guys died in a plane crash. Yes. Did you know that there were 20 people on board and that six of them die and the other 14 lie dying in the wreckage for 24 hours before they're found and discovered while people howl and slowly expire in the wreckage lying around them. It is the most what? macabre, awful plane crash story because they, they they basically land the plane enough to save most of the people. Where was it that they landed? In a field and in, in uh, like they, they were, you know, air failure trying to get to Mississippi and they crashed in uh, somewhere in Georgia. But they went out to the farm and the guy listed like, oh, yeah, there's still wreckage all over the place here. Hold on a second. He starts digging. He's like, yep, there you go. There's a piece of the plane. He digs it out of the ground. And oh, my God. Out of the but here's what I have to say. OK, sometimes. You know, you watch a rock and roll documentary and people tell you stories and you're like, that didn't happen that way. Like there's embellishment. The Leonard Skinner guys are not capable of embellishment, which is a <laughs> kind way of saying you get what you get with the Leonard Skinner fellas. And this is a story that the lead guitarist tells. Well, I mean, I just all I want to do is play my guitar. So in 10th grade, I got there. They were like, you should go home. And I was like, I'm going home. I just want to play my guitar. And they were like, you go in and get. And so 10th grade, I left. I never came back. And I think that's exactly the conversation that <laughs> gently pushed that guy out of organized education. I mean, thank God Leonard Skinner hit for that guy. It was, it was great. Though. It, it was well. really entertaining and very sad. Um, Ben, you got to look up uh, Time Magazine Man of the Year 1982 uh, because I cannot describe the picture. Our three albums. Ben, what do you got? Oh, all right. I'm up. Okay. You're up. Uh, so first, I need to apologize oh. to the lovely Indy King Cannon for choosing a live Rush album. <laughs> it's a cold reception. There is a cold reception. And then I don't know if you remember, but Jeff followed it up with another unlistenable punk record. And I'm quoting Indy Nick and Cannon on that. So we're in a tough spot. Wait, what did you think of mine? Technically, it's listenable because she heard it and hated it. So you can actually hear it. That doesn't mean you like hearing it. Did did she like Journey? We're in a tough spot coming into this year, for sure. And um, I I chose uh, a song from Thriller in the song of the year. So I'm not going to choose that as album of the year, but I just want the record to reflect that that's the album of the year. That's the best album artistically and financially that came out of this, this year. I love that record. Okay. Um, second, I would have chosen a violent, the violent femmes record, but we already talked about that. So I can't do that. Um, I almost went with Duran Duran Rio just to keep Indy Cannon happy. <laughs> and I have a huge soft spot, particularly for the song Rio. Okay. Oh, so, Ben's college band did the definitive version of Rio, including Duran Duran's. They played the shit out of that song. I have a huge soft spot for it, but the rest of that record is a tough listen. It would be hard for me to recommend that as an album overall. Same with the Go-Go's Vacation. Vacation is one of my all-time favorite songs. I literally sing it every time we go on vacation. (laughs) (laughs) 
but the rest of that record's tough. Prince 1999 was something that came to me, but there's a single record that I listen to more than any other record from this year. And I'm sad to report it's Van Halen Diver Down. That's the record I know best from this year. That's the record I like best from this year. Jeffrey K. Simons. Please choose the best song. What is Van Halen's best-selling album? Ooh. 5150. Uh, It's either one or 1984. I don't know which one. 5150. Squeaker, and it's one. What is their second best-selling album? 1984. 1984, and they're just like just right there at the 15 million albums mark. 5150 would be their third best selling album, which I am embarrassed to report. I'll have a 5150 story in a second. (laughs) Dude, it goes Van Halen One, which charted for three straight years and was their best selling record until 1984 by a mile. Um, Put these in order of sales Halen One, Halen Two, Women and Children First, Fair Warning. Hmm. Uh, Halen One. Yep. First. Um, oh, uh, I'm going to go fair warning. Women and children first two. Dude, it's the opposite. No way. All right. It goes Halen one. Halen two, which is seven million copies. Women and children first, which is like right around five million copies. And fair warning is their worst selling record until Van Halen three in whenever that. Oh, came wow. Out. And that's the one that's got. Like the third, fourth singer in it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Gary Sharon. Yeah. So, Fair yeah. Warning is their is their worst selling album for a long period of time. They're on a long tour for Fair Warning, and actually, I was reflecting on this, Timmy. Um, remind me of the name of the guy we had as the guest on the Halen Pod. Uh, Brian Koppelman. We had Brian Koppelman on, and um, we basically threw Jet Tim under the bus. And said that Kaufman hung up on us because Timmy chose a Van Hagar song. But he was already mad at us, Timmy. Do you know why he was already mad at us? I can't remember, no. He's an old school Halen guy. Yeah. And he considered Jeff and my praise of Diver Down to be apostasy. Apostasy. Because you're an old school Halen guy. The story goes, fair warning is where they really hit their artistic peak. It's the most stripped down record. It's the most angry record. It's the record that India Cannon would have the least use for, even including Eruption. Like she would just have no use for Fair Warning at all. Oh, yeah. And then Diver Down there is a sellout record that leads to 1984. Like the old school Halen guys consider Diver Down yeah. to be the gateway drug to 1984. So I think he was already mad. Because they're all out on 1984. 1984 is bad to them? 1984 is a disaster. And then that Oh, uh, I and, see. Okay. And by the way, I mean, Jeff will agree. I mean, there's some good stuff on 1984, but it's bad. It's bad. And Jump in particular. Like, I mean, it was just really, he learned all the wrong lessons. Like, things really went downhill okay. from there. Um, Diver Down, however, I disagree. I disagree with the Halen heads. So they finish up the Fair Warning tour. And basically, the record company's like, I don't know if y'all are paying attention, but every record sells less than the last record. <laughs> and we're just going to have a meeting with you about that. So David Lee Roth goes to um, Eddie and he's like, you know, we should, let's put out a single. Let's just put out a single so that everybody, like we can get playing on the radio. We can fix this. And Eddie's like, okay, what, what should we do? And David Lee Roth's like, let's do dancing in the streets. And Eddie's like, really? 
Like that, we can't do dancing in the streets. That's that's a bridge too far. Let's do Pretty Woman by Roy Orbison. And um, Roth is like, fine. They put out Pretty Woman. And it's insane when you go back and look at it all the way through for unlawful carnal knowledge. And I won't spell it out for you. Um, <laughs> these guys have actual radio hits. Like oh, yeah. Their cover of Pretty Woman hit number 12 on the Billboard charts. Like it was a gigantic massive like pop radio hit the song charts the the record company's like that's it put out an album and they're like well, well we just were on tour for a long time and we're going to write a bunch of new stuff we're not gonna we don't have time to do that and they're like did you hear us put out a freaking record we don't care and they like got off the cattle prods and were like get in the studio van halen goes in the studio for 12 days and they record this record wow there's four or five covers on this record it's a it, and um wait what are the covers of, all right so uh the, the the worst the one that i like the least i'll be curious if george agrees if uh jeff agrees where have all the good times gone okay that's track one and that's a kinks cover then they go hang them high which is a freaking great fantastic song but it's a just a rework of one of the songs that they wrote as their demo before they got signed. Like they literally just wow. like they just wrote new lyrics for it, and that's the second song. The third song is Cathedral, which is an instrumental, and we and Jeff played that last time. That's like this amazing, really pretty, but it's volume, a minute, well. yeah, min, minute and twenty three one where he's just working the volume pedal on his guitar. Then there's Secrets, which is like a total throwaway Van Halen song. But again, I just absolutely love that. Love one. it. Super I love pretty. Secrets. So great. Then there's Intruder, a minute 39 one. That's just like Eddie going. His guitar <laughs> for a minute 39. Then we get Pretty Woman. Then side two, we get Dancing in the Streets. Then we get the, the Spanish flamenco little guitars intro, little guitars. Then we get Big Bad Bill, parentheses, and Sweet William Now, which I'll return to. Then we get the full bug, which is another one, which is like this old blue song that they've just been hacking around with. They're just like, yeah, fine, whatever. Like we're trying to make a record here. They shove this in the studio. And then the last one, Timmy, but you haven't heard it. You're not going to like it. You're going to love it. A one minute and three second, all acoustic acapella version of Happy Trails. I think I remember that. Yeah, It's so freaking great. It's hilarious. The whole album has this whole like F you, we don't care mood to it. It's such a random collection of things. Um, it's also 27 minutes and 34 seconds long. Fair wow. Warning wow. is like super stripped down. And um, one of the things that was funny about Fair Warning is that every record, Eddie took longer to write his parts and to record his parts because he's a, he's a perfectionist and he's a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant musician. This record, when you read the interviews about him, first of all, he's not crazy about this record. But when you read the interviews about him, he's like, yeah, they threw me in the studio, man. I was just like, that was the first take. Like the, the guitar solo on Secrets, it's rough. I make a couple of mistakes. That was the first take. And I was like, whatever, next song. Wow. And that energy is just like super lovable on this record. Um, Big Bad Bill is Sweet William now. It's a really, really dumb, bad <laughs> song. Written by David Lee Roth. It's a jazz song <laughs> oh, about God. a guy in Louisville who used to fight a lot, who gets married, and now he's Sweet William. They bring Clean in, up them dishes! Oh, my God. They bring in Eddie Van Halen and his brother's dad, who used to be a professional clarinetist, to do like a do 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 do
like the little like oh literally like the cantina scene in Star Wars uh, <laughs> clarinet part. And it is fantastic. And they actually had to talk his dad into doing it because apparently his dad stopped being a professional musician because one of his fingers got mauled. Like he only, oh. had, he only had four working fingers. And he was like, I can't play anymore. And they were like, it'll be fine. And like, that's the, <laughs> the mood of the entire record. It's a great, it's not a good, it's a great, I, it's hard to say. I mean, Halen won, it's hard to beat Halen won. I mean, that, that may be, that's like up with some of the Hendrix records as one of the great guitar records of all time. This is not that exactly, but Eddie was so so burned out from the fair warning thing. It's just like a huge chorusy record. And there's like a lot of like synthesizer sounds on the guitar, and it's super pretty sounding. Um, and it's just a really, really, really lovable record. Uh, if you haven't, I mean, go back and listen to the covers. Like the first five seconds of Dancing in the Streets. He's got this like digital delay where it sounds like it's a keyboard, but it's not. It's just Eddie alone on the guitar making all of these different noises on it. Um, the the guitar part for Pretty Woman is unbelievable. Like, dong, 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 dong. like just so <laughs> vicious. But I've already mentioned it. My favorite song on the record is Little Guitars. I'm going to ask Jeff to start at a minute 57 so you can okay. get the end of the chorus and then you can get eddie's like really super interesting and tasty guitar work and then you get another the, the sub chorus diver down by van halen you first the guitar part in there so pretty so full it's like he fills it all up second i mean just a hidden secret weapon to van halen and actually this timmy you like this from the bg's documentary it's the same <laughs> secret weapon from the bg's like the harmonies yeah the har- these guys could have been a freaking barbershop quartet like they sound fantastic now, now, does Eddie sing at all, or is that just Michael Anthony and David Lee Roth? No, Eddie sings too. He does, yeah, and okay. the brother, Alex uh, and Eddie. Alex. I mean, they're they're they are they are really, really huh. super highly trained, classically trained musicians. I mean, this is one of the things that's funny. They're Dutch. They moved to the U.S. from the Netherlands when they're seven, and then once I didn't realize that, I was like, "Oh man, that explains so much." Like they had this like Dutch fastidiousness to them. You know huh. what I mean? And um, huh. like the like the, the in the instrumentation and in the singing, yeah, no, man. So the, all of those like those backgrounds, the Van Halen sound is really, really, really unusual for basically a guitar slash metal right. to have like those sort of pretty things. And that's what's so funny about the Happy Trails. Like the Happy Trails is just 
perfect. Like they hit every single note. They're hitting the three and sometimes even four part harmonies. Like it's just amazing. Wow. All right. You're getting a little bit of that. You've now mentioned the happy trails four times. So also it's got this beginning, like F you, are we recording or not? That sums up the whole record. Like, something about that dude and it's david lee roth is doing the stupid bass line that's how good the other singers are they slapped the lead singer on the joke part of the song they did not get along, and this is part of why they broke up. But somehow they hit this like like weird medium point here, where Eddie was basically folded to David Lee Roth, but still kept enough of the reins on so that it wasn't full on um, jump, basically. Um, let alone the like. I mean, as soon as like David Lee Roth goes off on his own, it's like nothing but I'm just a gigolo. You know what I mean? Mm, like right. so this one, he manages. They like they managed to hit the thing where they're working together. Um, and it's a little, I mean, it's sort of funny for Van Halen. Like they just never, like, I, it's, I understand why they didn't get along, but they never found another singer that brought out the best version of them. Mm-mm. Jeffrey Simons. We know who took over Sammy Hagar. Two other singers were offered the job. At least according to Wikipedia before Sammy Hagar. Timmy's got his hand up. Let's hear it. Is it possible? It Patty Smythe from Scandal. Yes, Patty Smythe of Scandal. And I by know the way, her career. When I read that, I was like, holy shit, Patty Smith? That would have been amazing. And I was like, nope. oh, no, no, wait. Sorry, no, no, Patty, Patty Smythe. <laughs> Patty Smythe. Love her. Okay, Timmy, you're going to be even more excited by the next name. I don't know it. Jeff, you want to take a stab? Male or female? Male. Uh, Lou Graham from Foreigner. Now, he's been featured in one of Timmy's picks. Daryl Hall. Oh God! What? Can you believe it? What? Oh, God. That would have been I mean, so Darryl, great. Like Hall and Oates were gargantuan. I think H two O comes yeah. out this year or the next yeah. year. I mean, they are they are among the biggest stars in the world. But can yeah. you imagine how freaking funny it would have been? John, honestly, uh, John I mean, Oates would not have stood by to watch that happen. He would so have first fought of all, for John Oates. They would have been like, "Well, you're the guitar tech now. Like your job <laughs> yeah. is to set up Eddie's guitars. That's what you do <laughs> while Daryl Hall sings and he plays." <laughs> Um, that would have been amazing and honestly it might have been better than van hagar it really might have been better. yeah yeah what would those songs have sounded like with him i'm like i'm trying to hear like i'm trying to hear ain't talk about love and, and, and like with daryl hall singing it yeah <laughs> my love is rotten to the core i mean I'm, it does oh seem my. unlikely it seems likely we would have gotten even more keyboards so i doubt i would have been yeah. happier that's true wow I, that Good would have been a stuff. step down for daryl hall i mean he must have been offended it's like you guys open for us i mean hall and us is the biggest selling band in the world in 1983 yeah. but i'll I tell you that the reason why brian koppelman doesn't like that album seems pretty clear like cover 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 they they must have been like what are you guys doing well, well it depends you- on what you want from van halen like i'm all with ben on this i love diver down my version of Van Halen that makes sense is the party band where you can hear bottles clinking in the background and you're in the rehearsal studio with them huh. and you're just going to play all night and Eddie's going to occasionally shred and then he's occasionally going to hit on your girlfriend. That's the version of Van Halen that's palatable and tolerable. The version that takes itself seriously and is going to make capital A art is silly and ridiculous. If you're going to have the, a clown prince as your frontman, 
you've got to lean into the clowniness yeah. or you just seem absurd. So like that, I disagree with the hardcore Van Halen people like, like these guys were making seminal works of art. When they did that, they looked silly. When they were like, hey, what's we can do? They were great. <laughs> and Diver Down is the perfect example of that. It sounds like a house party. And yeah. nothing like a house that, party where your house party band is Eddie Van Halen's. This is, they actually stopped doing covers. This is the last record where they do a significant number of covers. And the reason why is that Eddie was like, it's such a pain in the ass to do the covers, man. Like I basically write a new song. I rearrange the entire song because I'm such a fastidious freak. And so there's no point. I should just write my own song. And if you look at Dancing in the Streets is the most obvious example. of Yeah, it. Like, that's a super basic song where he would just be like strumming behind David Lee Ross singing. So instead of doing that, he does this like super complicated, really, really, really technically. And I think it's quite a beautiful part. Yeah. Um, but that's part of it, too. I mean, like not to be mean to fair warning, but the songs aren't good. Like Unchained is a freaking fantastic song. But the, the yeah. rest of the songs, like you can't hum to them. You can't sing along to them. They're, they don't have great melodies. You know what I mean? Like in comparison with a song like Dancing the Street or Pretty Woman, like it just doesn't, they don't compare. Wow. All right. Jeffrey Jeff K. Simons, what do you got? Send, send your cars and letters, Van Halen friends, to Benjamin Hornbarton at. So sometimes great music comes from the places you would expect, comes from. America comes from England. Occasionally you get bands from other places. What's interesting about smaller scenes is how they can create kind of their own thing. And it can, and especially in the days before the internet, when it would take like four or five years for a band to break out of a small, unusual space, they've already gone through two or three iterations. They've written through their first round of bad material. They've learned who they are. They've, and so when you finally get a chance to hear them, you're not hearing a brand new band. You're hearing a band that's like, like has figured out who they are. Australia is one of those places. Hey, bands, bands that make it out of Australia tend to be really interesting because they've been honed by a hyper competitive. Like if you're from Australia, you're in New Zealand. Like there's like four cities, maybe five. And those are the five cities you play. And then you come back two months later and you play them again and you play them again, and you play them again. Everybody knows everybody. It's super hyper competitive. And to be a band that people will come back and see again and again and again, you have to be really good. And so not only do bands from the, that country tend to be good, but they tend to be interesting. ACDC is an interesting take on hard rock. They, they took some things and borrowed them from other bands, but then they did some things which nobody else was doing. Even a band like Split Ends is an interesting new wave band. Like you compare a Split Ends record to the other like classic new wave bands like Squeeze or some of those other yeah. kind of poppy. Like Split Ends is angular and there's all these crazy ass chords. They're incredibly hard songs to play. Um, and tonight's choice for 1982 is another one of those very strange Australian bands that um, by the time you get to 1982, they have actually already made three records. But this is the first record released internationally. So as far as the world is concerned, it's a debut record. Oh, so here's a little story. I used to belong to something called the Columbia Record and Tape Club. <laughs> now, for those of you who are under, under 55 years old, the way this worked is in the Sunday newspaper would be an ad of a really happy guy or gal holding like 13 records. And it would say, if you tape a penny 
to this ad and cut it out of the newspaper and circle the 13 records you want, we will send them to you for a penny. Unbelievable. And you have joined the Columbia Record and Tape Such Club. a great deal. And then every month we'll send you an opportunity to buy another record. And all you have to do is buy seven more at regular club prices. Well, the problem, of course, is regular club price is like twice as much as a regular record at the time. Um, and if you missed and forgot to send back the selection of the month card, you got the crappy album they chose for oh, you. It's a huge worst. hassle. But the way to make the club work was to join, get the records, buy all the records as fast as you could, quit. They would call you back and offer you a better deal. And then you could work the record clubs against each other. You could also, like certain scoff laws I know, oh, join, the join, the club, <laughs> join the club under the name Larry Led Zeppelin. Order the entire Led Zeppelin catalog and then never, never talk to the club again. <laughs> Even after the sending Larry Led Zeppelin warning, we break thumbs letters for being a breach of contract. Uh, anyway, so I joined, I was a member of this club a million times and I bounced it off of other clubs. And um, Midnight Oil was a band you read about. They sounded really cool. They sounded like they were super energetic and punky. And they, you know, they, you couldn't, they weren't on the radio. You couldn't find the records because the only three records were on an Australian label. And then they finally got an American deal and, and uh, I ordered it from the Columbia Record and Tape Club. I ordered the, the record of the moment, which is called Red Sails in the Sunset. They were touring America for the first time on it. And the morons at Columbia sent me the wrong Midnight Oil record. They sent me the 1982 international debut, which was called 10987654321. And I was like, this is the wrong album. I should return it. And then after about 10 seconds, I was a kid with a new record in his hand. I was like, well, I should listen mm. to the debut. Well, you should really start at a band's discography. I talked myself, I put it open and I'm expecting like wild guitar music. Put the thing on. And this is how the first song starts. And I'm like, what in the hell what have I just that? thought? This, you know, it's this weird kind of uh, Kyoto sounding synthesizer song with all these backwards drums. I'm just like, where the hell is the the angry band? And I'm, and I'm like, you know, the song's ending. And I'm like, oh, I've made a huge mistake. You know, who are these guys? Then I got to, to the second song. like it that wow. is more like it you hear that ping that sounds like there's an anvil being hit with the snare drum it's a giant metal drum that was part of the kit he's hitting a snare in this giant old oil container at the <laughs> same time like bang this is a 
furious record. It's about all kinds of stuff. It's mostly about uh, feeling out of an important conversation as an Australian, like being out of the international conversation about human rights, about the climate. Peter Garrett, the lead singer, is a six foot seven inch bald uh, former rugby player who actually ran successfully for national office in Australia when the band stepped away in 1993. Um, these songs, they are brilliantly written. They're brilliantly arranged. These guys know how to take a part and do everything with it. And this record has everything. It has long, crazy soundscapes. It has uh, break all the furniture in your living room, jump up and down rock songs. Um, some of the melodies are incredibly beautiful. Some of them are totally weird. It has uh, wonderful experiments with electronica without losing the, the kind of full rock band sound. Um, I, I fell in love with it uh, on the first listen. After all these years, it's still my favorite Midnight Oil record by a mile. I'm the Midnight Oil guy who was really disappointed by the hit records. Like, I didn't love Diesel and Dust. I didn't like The Dead Heart. I didn't like Beds Are Burning. I didn't like Blue Sky Mine. Wow. Because it really? was so, so restrained. Like, huh. those songs sound to me like Midnight Oil trying to kind of hold it together to have a hit record. This record does not give a rat's ass about restraint. And so I'm going to, if you'll indulge me, I'm going to play the first 30 seconds of my favorite Midnight Oil song, the best song on this record. And, and I think their best song overall. It's called Read About It. I finally got to see Midnight Oil live like three years ago. Midnight Oil took a 20 year break and then did an <laughs> anniversary tour and toured the world. And because they took a 20 year break, they're in incredible shape. I mean, these guys are all like seven or eight years older than we are. They looked amazing. Like yeah. I just couldn't believe what in sh how in shape they were. They played two and a half hours. They played all of their great stuff. They played it all in the original keys at the original speed. It was just, it was really inspiring. Um, so here's read about it from, uh, and on my, in, you know, one of my absolute favorite records from this year. 10987654321 by Midnight Oil. <laughs> so many great wow. touches throughout all of these songs tiny little changes there's there's a uh, an attention to all the little details each one of those little bass and drum parts comes back later in the song and they're not just uh improvisations they're part of it and i'm a sucker for an angry singer like you know that the the rich get richer and the poor get the picture is a pretty great first couple pretty great line yeah for a rock and roll song so i this band 
uh, got annoying uh, at the end of the 80s when they were proselytizing and, and, uh, you know, playing outside of the Exxon building. But uh, they started as a weird, absolute kick-ass experimental rock and roll band from a little island. And I love that version of them. I love all the weird Australian records, which I've since tracked down and listened to. But especially, I love this one. What's the name of the album, Jeff? Countdown, 1098-765-4321. What do you think, uh, Ben Barton? I'm a fan. Yeah, totally. And I like Jeff, just Jeff hit it all perfectly. Like that middle period, the beds are burning period and like the MTV stuff was, was pretty annoying. And so people think that they suck, but they don't suck, basically. <laughs> and the earlier material is much better, much, much better. I, I just remember hearing them. So so you guys are talking about a sucky period, but that was my introduction to them. That you know, how can we sleep when the beds are burning? I was like, I I just want to have pop music, man. Why are you bringing like Why are you bringing me down? And it's his anger, Jeff. But it's not like this punk anger. Um, it, it's much more localized. Like he knows exactly what he's angry at, and he oh, it's like that. It's the worst kind of bar fight where a guy's mad and he's got all the statistics and you're just like, I'm just, I'm just just tired before this argument starts. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) that's what, that's definitely what like dinner with Peter Garrett is like, like I'll have the fish. Oh, you'll have the fish. Will you? You know? And then there's going to be something really wrong with your fish order. Yeah. Uh, But that's funny coming from you because you know, you loved it when Bono was like, Pounding the women and children, pounding the women and children. Am I, Am bugging, I you? bugging you? I don't mean to bug you. You, were, must, you were all you were all in for that ridiculousness. It must be the accent. Yeah, that Australian accents all backwards. <laughs> That's the problem. Uh, all right, Timmy, what do you got, baby? All right, well, guys, I had um, you know John Cougar hasn't gotten any love, and so uh, on my list here, where's my sheet? I've got American Fool. And he's got plenty of good songs on that. And then I've listened to it twice over the course of the day. And I got so annoyed at this just unhappy album. Like, I was like, oh, my God, just stop. And so, I'm like, suddenly I'm like, I can't, you know, even though I want to give John Cougar love, this is a terrible album with terrible songs. And I can't believe I was going to choose. There's a song on it called China Girl. And it's not the but it's a different one. It's like, single China girl. What is it with so Rod Stewart, David Bowie, John Cougar? What they? That's yeah. progress, by the way. Forty-one years later, if your lead-off single was called China Girl, you'd have some explaining to do. So that's good. It, John Cougar says, "Take me to your jasmine place." Okay, that's not okay. Yeah. So I was like, "What am I doing? Why am I trying to reinvent the wheel?" Thriller is right there. I mean, Come on, I, Timmy. that's the one I listened to the most. It's the one that I've listened to the most since then. Uh, it's Michael Jackson. It's Thriller. Give me want to be starting something. Jeff. Science. Nice. Thriller by Michael Jackson. I said you wanna be 
actually an album I bought when I was 12 years old or 13 years old. I probably it was probably 13. I probably waited. I wanted to make sure I wanted to make sure it worked out. You want to make sure every track is good before you <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Once once the eighth single hit the top 10, I was like, okay, I'm gonna buy it. Um I have a spicy take. Are you ready? Yeah, go. The best songs on bad are better than the best songs on thriller. Whoa! I love it. Oh, what about, yeah. Name oh, the yeah. best songs on bad. Bad. Yeah. That's and, and bad is basically. Um, it, it, I mean, it's like it's the same song as what's the what's the beat it. Yeah, it's the same song as beat it, but much vastly superior. Smooth Criminal is the same song as the oh, song we just heard. Smooth Criminal is unbelievable. So good. Superior. Then you get a little bit hurt here. Now I'm starting yeah. to run out of steam. That's why I said the best songs. I, I ride for Dirty Diana hard. No. I like me some Dirty Diana. <laughs> Steve <laughs> Stevens' guitar part. It's yeah. All right. So what about Billie Jean, though? What's matching up against Billie Jean? Don't say Dirty Diana. Yeah, why not? I'll take Dirty Diana. Billie Jean oh. is not my favorite. I'm not, I'm not crazy about that one. Huh. I love human nature is so great. That song's beautiful. You ever heard Miles Davis's human nature? He was obsessed with that song. Oh, really? Before he died. He played it every night. He played human nature and time after time every night in the last wow, tour really? of his life. Yeah. He was obsessed with both of them. But Ben, um, you could not find anything on bad to compete with Paul McCartney's The Girl Is Mine. By the way, that song right? sucks. The, the thing about Thriller is there's two <laughs> there's two really bad songs, in my opinion. The Girl Is Mine is unforgivably howlingly bad. Like, it's Ebony and Ivory bad. And then PYT is some stupid, stupid yeah, stupidness. That's uncomfortable as well. But whatever, whatever. I mean, a record that gives as hard as this gives on one, two, three, four, maybe five songs. Hey, you, in, in Wannabe Starting Something, what is the lyric where... They start singing, you're a vegetable. What the heck's happening yeah, in that yeah, part totally. of the song? I'm a vegetable. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm not, I try not to think <laughs> I'm about I'm a mineral. Hard. I mean, it's yeah. really goofy. That one. I <laughs> yeah, love that one. Goofy. All right. Well, you guys are not oh, The vegetables. lady in my life, too. That's not helping oh, you out much. Oh, so I've learned. That song sucks. Yeah. And what? how does Baby Be Mine go? Oh, remember this has the weirdest drum intro ever. Listen, go. you... you Oh, yeah, hold on. This the beginning is like a total like fall down a flight of stairs. Where the hell is the beat? Check it out. <laughs> that's pretty much boilerplate early '80s funk. I mean, is that's Rick James. Rick James in a bottle. You know, is this uh, Quincy Jones producing? Yeah. Oh yeah, big time. All right. Yeah. Well, we are going to unpack uh, a little bit more of this album as we go, because it's the best-selling album of 83 and of 84. So we're going to pick different tracks as we go along. Anything else to speak well, of? This, this uh, podcast will get released when Ben is in the air yeah. flying to see Jeff That's Simons right. and the Jeff Simons band live at the Ivy room. So for sure. I am sorry. You can, have that, I um, you can imagine that. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, uh, I, I, I looked into flights. There's nothing that can get me back in time. Um, for for the what? Friday night. The new, the new Ted Lasso episode or no. Oh, <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> hey, 
If we had a win tonight, I might have just gone. But no, right, got you. Now you now you now you're under the gun. You gotta you gotta pick off the taxi again. You it's Thursday night, September thirtieth. Yes, you and uh, is it Matt? Right, Matt Jaffe is is the and I are uh, each playing a full set. Yep, each celebrating new CD releases. I have had my. My first rehearsal, my second rehearsal yeah. with the unbelievable band that was nice enough to say yes to playing with me is tomorrow they look night. Great. They look great. Yeah, dude, they sounded really good. I got to be honest, like I knew they would be good, but they were super generous and really so drilled fun. down and learned all the little parts. They really it's going to be fun. So, so I'm thinking Branson has a winter break. Yes. I mean, maybe I a don't little, know what we have anymore. Southeastern United States tour, huh? Sure, absolutely. That'd be great. Are you are you the promoter? I am the promoter. Okay, and we're gonna need twenty five k up front, and our Ooh, writer is really rats. really complicated. But uh... <laughs> a lot of yellow M and M's, Timmy. A lot of yellow. I can do that. I can do the I can do the M and M's more than I can the twenty five k. All right, guys, I will see you in 1983. Woo! Ben, will you Ben, will you be in California by then? Because we're gonna do it live in the same space, right? Oh, I don't know when I guess we but we have to choose a a suitable time. We'd have to do it on Friday, I guess. Well, no, I mean, when are you gonna get here on Wednesday? Oh, too late. Oh, really? Uh, 9:30 at night Pacific. I'm gonna be a puddle. Okay. (laughs) Well, we'll do a post show then. We'll do All a right. whole show. That'll be great. <laughs> Might be Friday. All right. That's what I mean. I can't do it after the show. I'll be. Yeah, I'll yeah, be, yeah. I okay. plan to be a puddle. <laughs> you should have seen me. I needed to change my shirt twice in rehearsal. I can't even imagine what's going to happen when I'm actually oh, next day. Let's go shirtless, man. Let's do it. Get ready. Hey, if you're having as much fun as we are, leave us a review on iTunes, give us a rating on Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you listen to podcasts, give us a shout. And then check us out on Twitter or at our Facebook page, 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An electric cast production. See you there. Electric Acid. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Electric acid. Electric acid.